coming up on Thunder Pop. It is the 93rd episode of the Thunder Pop podcast. Man, we're getting old. Almost to the century mark. Yeah, wow. I know. Senior citizens here. We're we're going to be like those old people that they put on the the Today show and they announce their birthday before the uh for the like the the weather. Yeah. Guy does, used to do it. Yeah, it is 93rd episode and I'm Stephen Presley. This is the Thunderpop podcast and sitting right across from me is the one and only the boy wonder Johnny Lightfoot. Hello, hello. We did that last episode, and I was exhausted. I was just out of it that day. And I, I was—I listened to it. I went back and listened to it, as I do most of our shows, just to critique and kind of see where I can improve what I do. And I was like, man, I sound like I'm falling asleep in that show. I mean, it was a good show. You did great. The content was great. You did excellent. Um, I don't know if other people noticed that, but I, uh, you know, we always notice our own. Oh yeah, we always uh, we always find our own faults first. Yeah. So for me, I know I was tired that day. I was sounding tired. So just to get a couple of things out of the way, Johnny can be found at the podcast. Yes, uh, matinee talk. We air every other week. Mm-hmm. We try to record, keep up to date on on movies our next episode coming this coming week is going to be about us jordan peele's new oh movie. i can't wait for that so one. we're gonna we're gonna have a discussion based yeah. on uh, uh what happened last night we'll we'll have a discussion it'll make for some interesting uh debate and that's gonna drop you said when this coming week so this week, uh wednesday yeah. every wednesday morning so it'll be this coming wednesday i want to say that's like the 26th or 27th and you can be found in all major platforms. Yeah, iTunes, Google, yeah. TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, all that, Spotify. I think that's one that a lot of people have been talking about. There's been a lot of buzz about it on social media, so people are going to be really interested to see how and what you have to say about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's one of the things is it's gotten so much positive buzz that I think some people might be surprised by some some hot takes Ooh, I may have on it. Ooh, so, wow. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, we, we kind of hit on P- Jordan Peele a little bit on the last episode here yeah. on speculation of where, what, and when he could be the next uh, Alfred Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. So interesting to see if uh, if this movie is going to live up to the hype because it's it's following up a, a big film. Yeah, it's a follow up of a big film, which is hard to f- follow with such an epic. Yeah, you, movie. Yeah, I mean, he won an Oscar. Yeah, and it was such a, a a social commentary within a film. Yeah, and so it was very powerful for a lot of people. So yes, it's uh, it's it's an interesting follow up film. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how we'll see what Johnny has to say about that. Uh, now our podcast, of course, you can also find Thunderpop at all major platforms and uh, social media. We're on Instagram under Thunderpop Show, Facebook Thunderpop, Instagram Thunderpop Show, and uh, we're we're uh, we're there. So come and join us and follow us and like us and and uh, we also have a YouTube channel which we're going to be starting to crank in a lot more content in. Uh, in fact, May fourth, I'm going to announce this here for the first time. May fourth, Star Wars Day. We're going to is that is it a national holiday yet? If it's not, it's a shame because it, it should be. I mean, yeah, when it's on a weekday, normally I I think a good portion of people take that day off. Yeah, I mean that's something I would have hoped that that I mean I think Obama should have gotten that done 
when yeah, he was president. He he made plenty of days. I would figure that should have been one. Yeah, maybe it was just starting to kind of take off towards the end of his presidency, and he was one of the, one of them oh shucks moments after he got out. He was like, "Damn, I missed that one." Yeah, because I, I guess it hasn't like it was always a big deal within the Star Wars community, mm-hmm. but then once like the new movies came out, starting you know mm-hmm. December twenty fifteen, so that would have been the last year twenty sixteen would have been the last year of his presidency. Yeah, and you know that other guy's not gonna. I don't give think the, give the geeks a day. Category you are eight. fake news. Sir. I don't think he's going to give the geeks a day, but the Obama would have, unless Obama's a Star Trek guy. Oh yeah, which he he might be. I think it's like I had heard somewhere that he may have been a Trekkie, more of a Trekkie than a Star I mean, Wars. If you if you listen to certain sound bites, he does his his voice and his, uh-huh. his tone. He does talk kind of like a Vulcan, I guess. Yeah. So he may have been a Trekkie, but you know, there's there are those Trekkies and there are those Star Wars people. There's some that are both, mm. but they they lean maybe more towards one or the other. Yeah, it's always a weird community because as mm-hmm. much as I love Star Wars, I I I do appreciate Star Trek for what it is. I'm not, yeah, I'm not definitely not one of those Star Wars guys who is like you know, tra- yeah, tra- just stinks. completely hating on yeah. Star Trek. Yeah, no, you appreciate Star Trek for what it is and. But you're, you know, you're you're going to be more Star Wars mm-hmm. all the all day, all the time. So anyway, yeah. So uh, we're going to do a May Fourth Star Wars Day live stream, and it's going to go on through at least a good portion of the day. I'm not going to do all day. I have too many other things to do in my life right. than to be here for 24 hours marathon. We have I have a baby, and I have my wife, and they they want to spend some time with me. But we'll do a, I think, a good five hours in here. And and it's going to be an open house, so we'll have a cavalcade of stars dropping through, or nobody, and just me and my my pug statue talking Star Wars for five hours. But I'll still do it. Now I think we'll we'll have some people drop by. We'll have some fun fun things, and and uh, we'll even have some of them cross over with each other because one will already be here, and then somebody else will drop by, and then and then uh, so it'll be it'll be fun. So on this ninety third episode. We, as much as we like to talk fun things in, in pop culture, right. and movies, and television, and, and, uh, and whatnot, sometimes there are some dark things that come out of entertainment and come out of art. And um, this is one of the things that, that definitely goes into that category uh, that's already the first part of the year has got a lot of talk and we haven't covered it that much. We've, we've covered it a little bit and mainly for a couple of reasons, it's really hard for me to talk about. One of the reasons is, is I'm, I was, you know, it was a huge, I am a huge Michael Jackson fan, a fan mm-hmm. of his art, fan of his, uh, music. Um, did, I've always for many years said he was agreed with the uh, notion that he's weird. Oh yeah. Um, he did weird things. Um, and even before he was weird, Publicly, where it was blatantly, he was was very blatantly weird. Um, there was rumors of him and the tabloids of being just kind of weird. Mm-hmm. So there was a period when Michael Jackson was sort of mysterious in the eighties when he was in his heyday during the Thriller and, and the uh, um, the the Bad Era. Well, even a little before, but by the time Bad had come along, he was already kind of starting to get into Weirdville, but uh, it wasn't fully on into weirdville um but the the thriller was his heyday and then before thriller there was the off the wall and again he was sort of just mysterious and and grew became and became increasingly mysterious because he was a person that 
um, there didn't do very lot of, didn't do a lot of interviews during that his mm-hmm. most popular times in in the music and pop culture era for Michael Jackson. He wasn't doing the the talk show appearances that like say Madonna was doing, um, or other icons of that of that time. Um, so he wasn't on the Tonight Show. He wasn't on Arsenio Hall show. He wasn't making sitcom appearances and walk-ons on sitcoms like, say, uh, Mr. T. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't, and he wasn't doing television that much. He would do television only when there was a performance, like, say, on the American Music Awards. He was going to go, come on, come on the Grammys and do a performance. So that's what made it such a big deal when he did come on TV because, whoa, wow, Michael Jackson's going to be on TV tonight. And it would be only once every, like, three years that that would happen. And it would only be when he did happen, it only happened for five minutes, maybe. So it was always kind of a big deal. In fact, one time, and this is the irony, they had a Cosby Show episode all built around the Cosby kids. And this is ironic that this is crosses into Bill Cosby, yeah. which is also another interesting thing, because the two biggest icons of the 80s, Bill Cosby and Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. The biggest television star of that decade, from the biggest television show of that decade, that's not even, it's not even arguably uh, the biggest television show. It is the biggest television show of that era for many reasons, not just for its numbers, but also for its impact on, on, the, on culture. We're talking about Jordan Peele and uh, the impact that his work now is having on culture, but also Bill Cosby in the 80s. And then Michael Jackson, the biggest musical artist mm-hmm. of that decade. And that's not arguable by anybody that's been noted by many publications entertainment weekly and rolling stones uh, magazine whenever they've done a um, like a charts of entertainers of the decade or entertainers of that millennium mm-hmm. michael jackson always number one mm-hmm. always came out number one so uh now best albums best records best songs that's when you can get into debates if you're not talking about sales and you're talking about just pure great albums Mm -hmm. that's different so yeah so you had those two but anyway there's an episode of the cosby show where it's all built around the cosby kids and and mrs huxtable going on a trip to see the the, uh, michael jackson bad tour concert that's in town Mm -hmm. and the whole show you're watching it if you when you watch it for the first time you're waiting because you think there's gonna be a michael jackson uh, cameo because they had done an episode i think within the same two-year window where they all meet stevie wonder Somehow they get into a car, a, a fender bender with Stevie Wonder's limo, and then as a result, they get invited down to Stevie Wonder's recording studio, and it, it turns into a jam session with Stevie Wonder. The funny thing about that episode, Bill Cosby himself is only on that episode for a very short period. I think he's on the episode for a couple minutes, mm-hmm. that particular episode. It's one of those weird episodes where they'd have like a character that's a main character, but they're either not on that show that week, or they're on the show for only a couple minutes, just as coming in, make a couple of like jokes, and then they're off the rest of the show. Yeah, and I kind of feel like with most sitcoms throughout that era and other eras, you write those type of episodes. Yeah. Um, where main characters can either not be present or present very little. They can kind of slot them in and yeah, out. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's mainly due to, like, if, if one of your main actors either has another commitment mm-hmm. or gets ill for some reason, then you have you have those filler ones. You can still go on a schedule mm-hmm. and then punch in Granddad guest starring that week, which is what happened, I think, on the, at least on the Michael Jackson one, um, Grandpa... 
Huxtable was with the kids a lot in that episode. Mm-hmm. So they they had this big buildup. They're going to a Michael Jackson concert. Well, Michael Jackson never shows up in the episode. So I've always wondered forever, and I've never done any kind of research on this, and I've researched a lot of ridiculous things in my life, but this is not one that I have researched, to find out if maybe there was, they were holding on hope that maybe Michael Jackson was going to make an appearance in the episode, mm. and then maybe he didn't do it at the last minute. Right. Um, I know he was known for backing out of things kind of last minute throughout his career for various reasons. Um, so if it was something maybe he got cold feet on, um, I don't know. I know they shot a couple of videos, too, with his brothers later on that was attached to the Victory Tour, and it was a reunion tour of the Jackson Brothers. And um, Michael Jackson, there's a couple of music videos that they shot. Michael's voice is in the video, but he's not in the video. Mm-hmm. And they actually have some stand-ins for Michael in the videos. Like there's one where they literally used a Michael Jackson lookalike to cameo in the video. <laughs> and there's another one where there's a helicopter from far away. And it appears to be Michael Jackson in the helicopter waving at him from far away. And which it could have actually, that could have actually been Michael Jackson. And that might've been his appearance that he just flew over on a helicopter in the video. I don't know. But anyway, you can see I know a lot about Michael Jackson. I've been a Michael Jackson fan for for many years. I've got Thriller album behind me that Johnny can see uh, in the room. Across the other side of the room from and here in the Thunderpop Dome, there's a Rock the Casbah. It's the number five Rock the Casbah mm-hmm. with Michael Jackson and E.T. Were, were the cover. And that was a whole thing when Michael Jackson did his tie-in with E.T. Um, in the 80s. And that, again, is around the Thriller era. But he was a very mysterious person. Even before he was known more for being weird, he was mysterious and rumored to be weird. There were things in tabloids about him, that, that he did weird things. Um, so some of the stuff about that was he was known for that people would say was weird became kind of normal later. Mm-hmm. And that happens with a lot of weird things that weird people also are innovators in a weird way. You know, so like the, the, he was a hyperbaric, one of the things oh, that was yeah. in the tabloids was how he slept in a hyperbaric chamber. And back then it was like, what, what are you doing? And now most uh, it, professional athletes mm-hmm. or world-class athletes, that's not, that's pretty regular. It's pretty norm. Like the, uh, even, I know at least in, in the NFL professional sports teams that, that have their own hyperbaric chamber facilities at their, you know, practice facilities. Uh, the other thing with him was was the uh, surgical mask that he wore to cover his face, and uh, he even had some decorative ones, like they were black mm-hmm. with sequins, I think, and that was considered weird. And now, I don't know if there's a day that I go out on the town in Austin that I don't see at least one person driving in a surgical mask. Mm-hmm. And the concern there is of, of pollution and intaking uh, bad air, am I right? Yeah, I mean... Y- You'll see him, and of all the places, Whole Foods, you know, mm-hmm. healthy, one of the healthiest yeah. spots you can go to. Yeah. And no matter when I go in there, there's always at least one person, mm-hmm. you know, shopping in produce wearing their surgical mask. Wearing the surgical mask. So it's, 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 you see it all the time. Um, it's interesting, but I started seeing it a lot more about five years ago. Um, it also could be people that have really severe allergies. Mm. So they're or they're more just more sensitive to pollutants than other people. 
So it causes them to have, you know, chronic coughs. And uh, gloves as well. You'll see folks you, wear, just which, wearing. Yeah. They, they won't touch anything unless they have a glove on. Yeah. You see that more now than you used to. So there's a lot more of that. Um, and it, it's a, I've noticed that it's really big in other countries too. I think it was, it's either Japan or China. A lot of people wear surgical masks. Mm-hmm. I've got photos I've seen and video footage I've seen. Um, are there some of the cities there known to have a, more of a pollution problem? See, with, with Japan, I, I don't believe so. Yeah. Because they're, they're not really that industrial anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really don't know. I know like the smoggiest places in the U.S. are like Los Angeles mm-hmm. that I've been to that I recall Los being. Los Angeles, Houston. Houston has a, a smog, more smog. Yeah, I always feel whenever I'm in smoggy places like Houston or Los Angeles, I get tired a lot quicker mm-hmm. and short-winded a lot quicker. Than I do if I'm in Austin or, you know, uh, where like if I'm in West, say West Texas, mm-hmm. out like Big Ben or Marfa, the, the few times I've been there, I feel kind of energized mm-hmm. in, in the opposite way because of the fresh air. It seems like it's just, it's infinite. So yeah, in this episode, there's documentaries about R. Kelly and Michael Jackson that dropped this year, the mm-hmm. Surviving R. Kelly mm-hmm. on Lifetime was a six episode doc series that came out and that was huge news then we heard buzz at the sundance film festival about a michael jackson documentary it was getting a lot of buzz apparently a lot of people were just in a state of shock no pun intended mm-hmm. but pun intended over the uh the, the leaving neverland documentary that debuted at the um the sundance film festival and then was quickly picked up by hbo Mm-hmm. Not too long after, which many as many docs that hit film festivals do that get a lot of buzz. Uh, we had the the uh, here just now. We just had the South by Southwest here in Austin where we're at, and they had the Beto O'Rourke documentary that got a lot of buzz, and that was quickly picked up also by HBO. And I, I think maybe it's going to air this month if, if it hasn't already aired. So they they seem to be scooping up a lot of buzzworthy documentaries to HBO. Yeah, from I just film watched uh, the Inventor that yeah. they just put out. So they're 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 finding that people will watch them if you if you pick them up and, and uh-huh. release them quickly. Get them out while the buzz is still there. Mm-hmm. So there, it's not. So it doesn't seem like HBO was purposely saying we're, we're we want to target Michael Jackson. They're just looking for the buzzworthy documentary of the moment. They had the Scientology documentary that was there was a lot of talk over a few years ago because it was the most uh, transparent um, bit of journalism that had been done thus far on the Scientology mm-hmm. religion. Uh, and I, when I say religion, I'm loosely calling it a religion. <laughs> but it was uh, they did a doc on that, which was the most um, telling expose that had ever been done uh, up to that point mm-hmm. on Scientology. And since then, there's been a lot more stuff on, on Scientology that's starting to come out. Uh, that's add some transparency behind the the uh, the dark curtain of the Scientology world, but yeah. So now that that started kind of a few years ago with their with that documentary, and now it's kind of gone into. And then Lifetime had this doc series with R. Kelly. So both of these have caused a lot of been in the news a lot. Very very divisive. People yeah. picking sides. Yeah, there are they are. It it is, and it's understandable why. That's happened, and I think it's happened more with the Michael Jackson mm-hmm. than it is with the R. Kelly. So we're going to talk about those uh, our takes on what we have gathered so far um, on those documentaries, and and we're, and as far as the the abuse, um, we don't want to 
we're talking about the achievements of these artists, but we don't want to belittle and in any way kind of, um, you know, downsize the, the impact of that element of this. No, I mean, it's a sensitive subject. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's nothing that we could say that you, we wouldn't try to, to be little, you know, whether Mm -hmm. it's accusation or, or hearsay or anything like Mm -hmm. that, it's conversation based on the documentaries. Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, there's stories out there that I've read that are the flip side. So yeah, it's, it's merely a a discussion about that rather than, you know, I'm not going to say whether I believe some, someone over another discussion about the documentary and- it's a discussion yeah um and we're not doctors i mean I, i'm i'm no dr phil no, no i'm no dr drew i mean i'm not even dr ken from the hangover but did you die Child. no so we're we're not gonna you know come up with any uh uh psychological analysis that's that's you know gonna be better than what those people can do and i i, I you know I think Ken Jung could probably even analyze it better than we could. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so we're we're not going to come up with anything, but we're going to we're going to dive in a little more on the docs and the impact that they're having and um and what we've gathered from our from the outside looking in. Um and then in, in me being a fan, but how biased does that make me? It's kind of interesting right. for the Michael Jackson's point of view. Um at the beginning of the show though, we will have a little bit of fun. Oh yeah. We're going to have a lot of fun because we're going to dive into Stranger Things 3, the trailer that dropped this week, in reviewing the trailer. So that's going to be right after this. mellow yeah for the topic of the show because this is a very serious episode of thunder pop it's kind of like when they used to have in the 80s they'd have a sitcom and then the we- one week they'd have a very serious or oh, a very yeah. Some, somebody got caught with drugs on growing or, pains or, or, or alcohol or something or whatever yeah and then it'd be like a very serious special episode of mm-hmm. growing pains this week and they'd, they'd play the somber music during the preview yeah that, that week and then after the episode then you'd have the actors as themselves kind of explaining explaining the whole story and in the the sad thing about that is is one of those shows that did that was different strokes and it was one of the most infamous episodes that ended up getting parodied I think by family guy where it was the guy that owned a bike shop that um, sexually abused um, one of the characters on different strokes and the guy that played the bike shop owner was uh, from WKRP in Cincinnati. He was an actor that was in a lot of sitcoms in the 70s and 80s. And he guest starred on an episode playing the, the very difficult role, playing the bike shop owner pervert uh, pedophile who, who was sexually abused because he showed porno cartoons to Dudley mm-hmm. in the back room of the bike shop. 
And what's funny, what's what's not funny at all about different strokes is that that just about a year or two ago, some story came out that there were some there was sexual abuse going on on the set of the show from people that worked on the show. So that the fact that that was happening and then it was a storyline on the show mm-hmm. it's kind of weird. But anyway, onto some fun stuff though. Mm-hmm. Stranger Things three. The trailer dropped this week, and what what a week it's been for trailers. It's yeah. been like almost one a day mm-hmm. for trailers dropping. We had um, we had well last week we had Avengers Endgame. Mm-hmm. Then there was a TV spot for Avengers Endgame that dropped. It didn't give a lot more footage because they're using a lot of stuff from other previous movies to kind of set it up about our love for this series or the last ten years mm-hmm. and how we've been so invested in it. So it's kind of playing on that a little bit but then we got um once upon a time in hollywood the first trailer for that we got um the natalie you mentioned the natalie portman yeah, lucy in the sky which looks great and very compelling um based on a true story by the way about a real nasa astronaut and her affair with another nasa astronaut mm-hmm. and and how that spiraled out of control so there's been all that and then some things I'm probably not remembering, but then there was also Stranger Things 3. At least someone's happy I'm home. That looks like it could have been after maybe a summer camp. Yeah, this one definitely taking place in the summer. And they're they're I guess aging up the kids. Yeah, uh, a few years, which is something they said from the end of last uh, the second season. They promised that was going to happen with third season was that they were going to hold out a little while because they wanted to age the kids a little bit uh, and show them kind of going through their their high school mm-hmm. the, the high school years a little bit, um, and that that was going to be um, and and I get the impression that there's going to be a jump again after three. Because from what I understand, this is about a four or five year max mm-hmm. seasons, and then they're they're done. I think they planned it much like uh, shows like Mr. Robot. I think it's, it was planned for a certain run as far as creativity and what they're how they're scripting things out. I think it was scripted out for either a four or five year. I know Mr. Robot was scripted for a four year run or four season run, and I believe this was a four or five season run. So they might skip up again after this. Uh, I don't know exactly where they're going to be at in their high school period. Yeah, I, mean, I I would imagine at least freshman or sophomore. So they may get to graduation for the fourth season. Right. And then if there is a fifth season, I bet it's it's college. And then that may be it, mm-hmm. you know, if they even do that. I could see them doing something, too, with like the fourth season. Netflix has done this on a few other shows where they may just do four seasons, but they may split four season, the fourth season into uh, part one and part two. Mm-hmm. And then you know break him up into two, just so they could stretch it out a little a little longer. But anyway, yeah, it looks like he's coming back from summer camp. They're playing the Montley Crew music. The Montley Crew bio, the, ironically, the Montley Crew drops biopic today. <laughs> drops today on Netflix. So it seems like Netflix is uh, doing a lot right now with the Montley Crew stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just a dream. You're dreaming.
<laughs> There's gonna be a lot of Dustin, and I think he's become kind of the one of the central yeah, characters. He's, he, and he's a fan favorite, like yeah. him and uh, him and Steve. Yes, and they've become kind of the buddy cops of Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. Is what they've evolved into, and that's something that sort of had. Well, I don't think it was planned. No, not at all. Out of things that they probably did plan, if they planned anything at all at the very beginning. That was one of the things that just happened. It was kind of a happy accident. Yeah, they they just ha- gave them their little thing in season two, and then it became such a like everybody loves like Big Brother Steve and 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 Dustin. Like, yeah, that duo. Yeah, because he was started off kind of as the the jock uh, mm-hmm. bully sort of of the show with the girlfriend, and kind of was going to bully the nerds a little bit, and then he sort of softened up and became kind of evolved and matured. And next thing you know, he's Dustin's mentor, mm-hmm. and his his uh, he looks up to, and and they're working in a mall together. We'll see that here in a minute. Of course, the soundtrack is wonderful for the trailer. Oh, of course. Now, the guy that did become the bully for last season, we see him working at the, as a lifeguard at the swimming pool, and he's back this mm-hmm. year. And he had the sister, and they were sort of the, became kind of the, the new um, new characters, new, new people at the school mm-hmm. from season two, the new kids in town. We're not kids anymore. I mean, what did you think? We're just going to sit in my basement all day, play games for the rest of our lives. And I read this several months ago. A lot of this show is going to be central, center, uh, centered around the, the mall. Mm-hmm. And I believe it's even a new mall that had just, just opened in the town. And uh, that's something that was didn't get in the first two years that we're going to get in this season for our settings is, is this new big mall, beautiful 80s mall. They had the arcade, mm-hmm. and that arcade was in season one, and I believe it was also in season two, at least at the beginning of season two, we see the arcade. And the arcade, this shows kind of the budget of the show getting ramped up a little bit, because they had the, the budget to do an 80s arcade, but doing an 80, whole 80s mall in the first season, right. that would have been a little bit ambitious for a show. We don't know how it's going to how it's going to do, whether it's going to take off or not, or is this Netflix thing even going to work out? You know, mm. so now they're going to get a whole '80s mall, which is a pretty big deal. It is important to me that you feel safe. I want you to feel like this can still be your home. Who does that look like with the wound? We see a guy, one of the mm-hmm. characters, and he's in under he's kind of water showering over him, and he's got a large open wound on his arm. Does that look like the the bully, the pool that works at the Yeah, bull? the actor's name's Dacre Montgomery. He mm-hmm. played the Red Ranger in the Power Rangers reboot recently. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, I kind of wonder, I don't think they would give him a similar arc to Steve to where they turn him from bully to good guy. Yeah. I kind of wonder if they turn him from bully to just full villain. 
Yeah. That that might be the... Yeah, because it'd be just too, like, you know, following a beat already that they did with Steve, like you said, to make him evolve from bully to hero, you know, in one season. So it seemed like, well, what would be the progression for his character? Whether that's going and helping the the people, the scientists and stuff, mm-hmm. or the creatures from the the upside down or yeah and becoming kind of like you said even becoming more of a villain and going time kind of the contrasting story arc for him from steve's where he becomes kind of more even more of a villain well yeah especially since now his younger sister is even more ingrained with the the main group yeah we see her with uh in the mall hanging out with with uh, the characters as she's buddy more buddies with him I believe Jake Busey's in this one. So we see him walking through there. And that's every season they've had kind of a throwback, somebody that at least is a nod to maybe a previous error. Mm-hmm. And Jake Busey was sort of, he's being Gary Busey's son, has a connection to Gary Busey being, you know, another 80s, you know, movie, mm-hmm. movie uh, character or actor. And Jake Busey, I, I actually was an extra on a film. Oh, uh, probably 10, 15 years ago that Jake Busey, I think, might have been one of the first films he ever worked on. It's like, he looks just like his dad, like mm-hmm. a younger version of his dad. And there's that recognizable Stranger Things. How many children are you friends with? So the picture that everybody was posting on social media after this trailer dropped was uh, the Steve and the sailor uh, outfit with Mm -hmm. the Ahoy across his hat. That was everywhere. I was seeing that posted in memes and mm-hmm. different social media postings, and became kind of a became kind of the thing. They're obviously working in the mall together, him mm-hmm. and Dustin. At a, I can't tell if it's an ice cream shop. That's what it looks like, uh, or like I can't think of that. I, it's been so long. nobody goes to the mall anymore. But the, yeah. you know that every mall had that cookie place, yeah, where they would decorate the cookie cakes and stuff. American Cookie Companies yeah, something or something like that, like that. Uh, and they're still around. That last time I went and actually got a cookie cake was probably three, four years ago. My wife wanted a cookie cake for her birthday, so I did go to Barton Creek Mall. And there was one of like three of them in town, I think, at the mm-hmm. time. And one of them was in the mall, or two of them were in the mall. Um, so I went down there and got a cookie cake made. And, and they, you tell them what you want on it, and then you come back and pick it up in a little bit after you order it. But yeah, they still had the cookie company. Um, but yeah. So that's they're working in maybe like you said one of those types of and I, I wonder if this mall is going to have all the the uh, the tropes that you would expect in the '80s mall that they'll have the arcade. Will they have an Orange Julius? Yeah, uh, uh, obviously like a record shop. A record shop you're definitely going to have a, like a KB Toys store. Yeah, something some toy substantial uh, toy store that was a, uh, a Spencer's Gifts mm-hmm. that are still around. Uh, they've become more of a hot topic kind of hy- yeah. hybrid. In recent years, but I know uh, many years ago, uh, used to go into a Spencer Gifts, and they had a racy adult section. Yeah, you, that's where you went for like a, a gag gift for, yeah. like, you know, 
buddy or bachelor party. Something, something, yeah, hilarious that you could buy for your buddy for a bachelor party. And yeah, they had they had all. So I don't even think that last time I was in a Spencer gift, they didn't quite have the that that adult section anymore. No, now they've got more like like you said, like the hot topic, mm-hmm. like you know, like kind of throwback stuff that that's cool now. Yeah, a lot of Sponge SpongeBob stuff maybe or some. Um, uh, Ren and Stimpy or The Simpsons, mm-hmm. uh, memorabilia, things like that. A lot of band T-shirts still, and but yeah, in the eighties it was all it was an adult section. With a lot of, like you, like you said, a lot of gag gifts, a lot of fart humor, mm-hmm. lots of posters with sexy women in bikinis mm-hmm. that were wet. Uh, lava lamps, lava lamps. <laughs> yeah, there were the lava lamps. And then one of the things I remember buying a Spencer gift when I was a kid. Was the cardboard stand-up, which I wish I had it now. Oh, yeah, they had those. I had the Batman from Batman 1 with the Michael, Mike, Keaton. The Michael Keaton stand cardboard stand-up that I got at, at Hot Topic. And I actually layawayed it. Oh, yeah. So with with the money I had, I put it on layaway and then paid it off. Every weekend, I put some money down on it when we went to the mall and got it out at the, uh, at the end of that month. And uh, my parents were like, I can't believe you bought that huge cardboard Batman uh, stand-up. And I had it in my room, and it was set up there. And I had the poster, too. Mm-hmm. I had the the wall poster and the cardboard stand-up. So I had a whole Batman theme going in 19, 1989, I guess it would have been, that year. But it was one of the things I do remember buying at Spencer Gifts was was the um, first things, at least. I, remember. I also remember buying a like a spike bracelet. <laughs> They had that. Yeah, st- I think one of the things I got it was a Bruce Lee like black velvet poster, mm-hmm. and then you bought like a black Ooh. light to shine over it, and then so at nighttime you'd click on the black light, uh-huh. and it would be uh-huh. like a glowing Bruce. It sounds so ridiculous uh-huh. now, but when I got it back in the day, I was like, "This is the coolest thing ever." It's a Bruce Lee poster, but uh-huh. then at night when you turn on the light, it's glowing. But you you wish you had it now, though, don't oh, you? Yeah, you would love to still have that. Wow. Yeah, so that that was the uh, so you wonder how much of that they're going to put in there in the mall, but the mall's going to give them a lot of new things that they can put into this season mm-hmm. that they they're going to already see how they're using the escalators in a lot of the show. You see a lot of that and there's going to be some escalator action going on. Um, and they'll probably be the work in the waterfall that's in the mall somewhere probably in some in some of the action. That is this mall going to get trashed by the end of season 3? Is it going to just get get demolished by the uh, the upside down I, monsters. I think it has to if it's if it's the main one of the main set pieces. I think you have to have like some sort of climax at the mall. Yeah, utilize those set pieces and turn them into some sort of final showdown of some sort. What I've heard the first what I read from the creators even I think this comes from the horse's mouth months ago was that the first part of the season like the first at least the first majority of the first episode if not the first couple of episodes is going to be pretty lighthearted more like com- comedy mm-hmm. and uh just more of like seeing the characters and kind of having fun and and uh coming of age and the mall and stuff like that before all help starts to break loose yeah i think we'll get a main character death in this season I've wondered about that. Yeah, yeah I, I've speculated that it's probably going to be David Harbor, the sh- the sheriff. Yeah, is that who you think they're pointing yeah. it towards? Yeah, I think he's gone. Then maybe maybe they've done everything they can do at this point with his character arc. Yeah, there's not. I mean, you know, because going from the first season to the second season, like he's not a drunk anymore. Yeah, he he, he cares about Winona Ryder's character mm-hmm. and the kids. Yeah, and then now that actor David Harbor, like he's in movies now. Yeah, yeah, he's he's been busy. 
So uh, much like some of the characters from Walking Dead start to do movies and started getting more work and more famous, then they start to kind of move on to other things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I could do that. I could see him coming back maybe in a cameo, like someone having a, a, a PTSD, like after season three, if he, if he does in fact end up being the character that gets killed off. And I thought there was times where I thought he was going to get killed off last mm-hmm. season. Oh yeah. It was pointing in that direction. So it wouldn't surprise me if that's kind of a fore, uh, foreshadowing for this year and maybe he does get killed off uh, whether it's mid-season or end of the season or early in the season that's kind of what's left up for for a question mark but he could get killed off and then I could see him maybe coming back for a cameo before the show ends its run in some sort of dream sequence I mm-hmm. guess would be what I was thinking um, that he might come up and do that before like in the finale or something so yeah so that could be that so things to look for is maybe the uh, the new bully character maybe becoming more of a villain mm-hmm. in some sort um, and then the death of a main character mm-hmm. I will say I I think this might be the last season we get a demigorgon because I think yeah. I think this they've got to evolve Past, yeah, past that now, especially now that they're they're becoming older, mm-hmm. because that was the whole thing about the demigorgon was they were yeah. children, and so the demigorgon was like this this creature from their D and D game. Yeah, and so now that they're becoming older, you kind of have to evolve into something, you know, because now you know why would they be scared? Of, they've beaten it, you know, yeah, so many times, and they're not kids anymore. They even say it in the trailer: "We're not yeah. kids anymore." So then maybe that's kind of run its course and time to. Kind of move on from that. Will we ever see uh, the one character that was killed off in season one? Her name's the tip of my tongue. Oh, gosh. The one that everybody complains that nobody remembers, and now we're proving that. We're proving that by not remembering her name. I can remember her face, and I know she went on to do Riverdale. Mm. Uh, are they going to do some fan service and bring her back? Like Barbara. Yeah, Barbara. Will we see Barbara ever come back? Will they? Will they do fan service? And find a way to bring Barbara back? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Because I, I want to say they kind of resolved that with, like, didn't Barbara's sister, or parents get all... Yeah, they uh, were involved in season last season. Yeah, the, They hire the, the kind of swarmy guy, creepy guy, mm-hmm. to investigate. Because they think there's more going on than what they've been told. And then they end, that that guy ends up becoming also another breakout character from last year, and he's still he's still around. We see him pop up one scene, I think, in the trailer. He pops up. Uh, the guy that I'm talking about, this this sort of the conspiracy theorist, PI, little sleazy, that also hosts two of the uh, kids over at his house for a little while, which adds to the creepiness of his character. Yeah, just just a little. <laughs> yeah, but he ends up becoming a breakout character. I thought he was was one of the. The highlights of last season. He's back this year. He's still lurking around. I know one thing Stranger Things has proven it will do in season two is do things that will serve fans. Reacting to criticisms to the show, but then also giving them more of what they like. I expect a lot more of that. Okay, so getting into the Michael Jackson and R. Kelly documentaries, Leaving Neverland, we talked about earlier, came out on HBO, and uh, previous to that, we had Surviving R. Kelly, which was a six-episode doc series, which I think is a little bit dragged out a little bit. I mean, there's it's a little bit, six episodes of almost an hour each is probably more than what I, I need personally on the R. Kelly story, uh, so I think it's a little bit of filler in there. Yeah, and I mean, with the subject matter, it's it neither neither documentary is easy watch, you know. 
No. So when you when no. you're dragging out that sort of material over six hours, it's definitely not easy. I mean, yeah, I had to spread it out. You know. Yeah, and I was a big fan, and for years of uh, behind the music, uh, VH1's behind the music, mm-hmm. and watched a lot of those. I watched them even on bands and artists that I wasn't into, just because my hunger for more behind the music was so much there that I and it, and they started to kind of run out of people to do behind the music's on because after they hit all the legends, they get to the second tier of artists, and then by the time the show was over, they were hitting like the Backstreet Boys, who were were still like kind of. On the, they were only like three albums in, and they were doing a behind the music on them because they had, you know, they were running out of people to do behind the music on. So you start getting into like, you know, then you're doing behind the music on Tiffany, or, uh, you know, or, you know, whoever else like the the behind the music of Gerardo, <laughs> you know. So uh, it's it's just you're running out of people to do a, uh, you know, you start off with the Rolling Stones, then you then you the next year you're doing Ricky Martin, and then the final year you're. You're hitting Joey Lawrence, yeah, uh, and his one-hit uh, album, one-hit wonder album. So anyway, yeah. So behind the music, so I find myself when I start watching Surviving R. Kelly and Never Finding Neverland, they start off kind of focusing on the artist and their climb from their humble beginnings to their start mm-hmm. stardom. In Michael Jackson's case, it's something that started very. He started very young as a star. He was a star, I think, from the age of five or six years old when he was with the Jackson Five. Right. I mean, yeah, I, I still to this day remember like the the like made for TV movie about the Jacksons, the bio, about yeah. the, Joe Jackson and the, some of the stuff he was doing. Yeah, and that was probably being a TV movie, and also one that I think got somewhat of an endorsement from the from the Jacksons. Um, on at the time on uh, ABC, it was ABC TV movie biopic about the Jacksons, and that came out. I think um, you had Angela Bassett, I believe, playing Mrs. Mrs. Jackson. Uh, the actor's name he's really critically acclaimed. He was from Welcome Back, Carter, that played Joe Jackson, and I think he got he might have even got an Emmy nomination for playing Joe Jackson in that film. But he was a really good. He he turned he became a he went from sitcoms to doing kind of these dramatic TV roles. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was a really good actor because I remember I really believed him as Joe Jackson. Like I said, it's probably a, a little bit milder portrayal. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, of definitely. how severe it really was in terms of the abuse that the Jackson kids uh, went through mm-hmm. with Joe Jackson. Um, they do cover it, but it was probably much milder, much milder than it really was because later years you have interviews with people like Latoya Jackson who said she was sexually abused. By her father, Joe Jackson, that was not really put in the film. They did put the physical abuse in there and the mental abuse. And uh, they also tied it together with all of the the coaching that he was to make them the stars that they became. And take him around the you know the country and these kids who were underage and getting him into bars to play shows and bars, and then playing talent shows and winning every talent show that they they were in, and kind of being the drill sergeant to these kids. And it goes along with every biopic that's ever been made about a child's child star mm-hmm. or someone that starts out as a child performer and then becomes a icon. In the Selena movie, you see some of that with Selena, with her dad and the relationship she had with her dad. Now, not being that, not saying that he was abusive like Joe to the level of Joe Jackson or even bu- abusive at all, but Abraham Quintanilla. There's a lot of comparisons, I think, between him and, and Joe Jackson in terms of how he was sort of how he managed everything. Mm-hmm. 
and the way he managed everything and watched everything really closely and was also sort of uh, trying to control Selena's life and who she could be friends with. And then also what she would wear, what she would wear. You can't date that guy. He's a bum musician and he's going to distract you from bigger things. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in, in relation to her, uh, her relationship with her, what became her husband at the time. And uh, ironically, it was a hanger on that ended her life. Mm-hmm. It was a person that ended up being kind of a, um, you know, a person that she trusted that, ended up not being, uh, um, you know, a person that she should have trusted. So, yeah, there's some similarities there. We've seen it in others, too, in other stories of, like, people that were kind of groomed from an you know, early age to become by their parents. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of similarities between Joe Jackson and these other stories where that's one that kind of I can remember um, that was, you know, sort of a story that was very similar in terms of, like, someone that had a controlling dad who had a had been in music himself didn't quite get to the level of where he mm-hmm. had always wanted to so he was trying to live through vicariously through his trying to fit, fulfill his dream through his kids yeah and you see that with with many types of celebrity tiger woods dad yeah the, exactly it's very the, the williams sisters yeah which, uh, apparently will smith's going to do the biopic about him uh, King Richard Williams, mm-hmm. their father. So. That'll be really interesting, yeah. So, I mean, it's not unheard of, and a lot of that plays into a lot of the stuff that they they talk about in these documentaries about, you know, Michael Jackson and R. Kelly mm-hmm. is, okay, we're going to tell you where they come from, so maybe that leads you to understand some of their quirks. Yeah. And I don't think, I think they did a better job of covering it in the R. Kelly doc series. Oh yeah. And explain a full episode. Yeah. And doing, and that's where you get the, you do get the advantage of having a longer, more drawn out doc series instead of just a documentary. Um, And it was four hours still leaving Neverland. So there's still quite a bit of content there, but in, 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 in uh, the surviving R. Kelly, I feel like they did a better job of showing, uh, kind of explaining why R. Kelly might have gotten to where he ended up and the abuse he sustained as a child, where in the Michael Jackson uh, doc series, I don't know if they really covered that a lot, did they? No, other than just, you know, stressful life, Mm -hmm. that sort of deal, and then you just kind of break straight right into Michael Jackson's already a superstar. Yeah, it goes right into that. And they did talk a little bit how he used the excuse that he never had a life as a child himself that he felt yeah. de- deprived of that, which I believe is true uh, from everything I've I, seen. I've, I've always believed that, yeah. that, that he did, like he built his house and the things in his house the way he did mm-hmm. because he wanted to have the experiences he didn't get to have. Yeah, I totally believe that. I mean, if he's guilty of the things he was charged of uh, by the people that accused him of the things that they accused him of, um, I do believe that you could certainly use that as a way to draw in kids, but I don't think that was the only reason he had the arcade or the movie theater and the amusement park at, at his ranch. I think it was also because he really was deprived of a childhood. I do believe that. So it, 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 that part, you know, I think adds up in terms of his, you know. So in the movie, though, in the doc, they make it as if it was just as an excuse to get kids in. That was just a thing he would... Uh, yeah, I, I don't think you you put that much time, effort, and money into building and maintaining all of that mm-hmm. with the sole purpose of 
I'm going to use this to lure, you know, yeah. kids. Yeah. And then since this has all come out, it's really shit's hit the fan on the Michael Jackson thing. Uh, there's been, there's been some blowback from it. One of the, the blowbacks was the, the Simpsons episode that was uh, pulled from mm-hmm. existence. So it, it will no longer be aired in, in the syndication, in the reruns. Any future DVD release or, or future streaming release will not include a um, that episode of The Simpsons. And I think it's the only one they've ever more or less banned is the Michael Jackson episode of past Simpsons episodes. So they've, um, they've cut that episode. And then the, the, the creator, co-creator of The Simpsons, and the guy that wrote that episode was at the South by Southwest Film Festival, and he was interviewed by somebody. And while he was there, he said, I can see it a situation where this episode was a episode Michael Jackson made to use as a way to groom young kids. When he created that song for the, for the episode, I think he was using that to groom kids. And that, so that's been kind of become the, um, the, the thing now. From the documentary, the angle they went with in the documentary was everything in Michael Jackson's, almost everything in his entire career was just to groom young kids to come to Neverland so he could potentially sexually, young boys, so he could potentially sexually abuse them. And I don't, like you said, I don't think everything Michael Jackson ever did was, you know. No. Uh, Do I think it's possible that those things could become used to do that? Yes. I think yeah. It's possible. On the back end. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely don't think, yeah, like I said, it's, there's no way you put that much resource, money, and effort mm-hmm. into something that with the sole purpose of, you know, using it to lure in these young boys. Yeah. And that was what the, the Simpsons producer was angling at, was that his whole reason for wanting to guest star on The Simpsons and the, the creative input he put into the show was to position the, the story more in that being able to use that episode for that reason. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Like you said, it seems like it was a lot. I mean, Michael Jackson's big, one of his biggest most motivations was to be the number one. A lot of the stuff he did was to be the number one musical artist mm-hmm. to beat Prince and to beat whoever else was on his tail you know, to be the number one selling artist, to be the number one, you know, he wanted to be the king. He wanted to be the king. So a lot of what, so if he had a, two options for a song to put on an album, but he he knew one song was going to give him a better chance of being a hit over the song that was potentially going to be a song to groom kids into coming to Neverland, he's going to probably pick the song that's going to be a hit over the song that he thinks is going. to... I mean, that's that's my you know my take on it. Now, you know, I'm not I'm not I'm not the judge and jury here. I will say that I think there's a lot more on the R. Kelly to to call him guilty. I mean the R the R. Kelly one. There's there's a reason that you know he just got bailed out of jail recently. Yeah, <laughs> because there's there's not a lot. I don't see how you could deny a lot of the stuff in the R. Kelly one. I mean, there's even a yeah. point where. They make contact with a girl who he has holed up in a hotel and mm-hmm. will not let her go back to her parents. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the R. Kelly thing to me has always been a lot more closed case. He had, um, there's a video. Yeah. I mean, there's an actual video 
and the video is obviously him for anyone that has with an underage girl with an underage girl that's confirmed by multiple people witnesses that it was an underage girl at the time that he was with her when he was not um he was not no and he, he was ma- he was and uh, he was very at, much older than her at the time that he was doing this this isn't one of the you know this was before like sex tapes were like a big thing yeah it's pre paris hilton and kim kardashian like when like when you think about what he would have had to do to make this like it's mm-hmm. really disturbing mm-hmm. i think the only one maybe before that pam maybe the pamela anderson tommy lee but then that, that would was been, consensual they, they, but it was a different thing yeah. much different thing you didn't have the attachment of um it being this underage girl and then also being you know, not consensual in terms yeah. of like we made a video and it's going to go everywhere. Well, and it, you know, it's it's fact he married an underage girl. Yeah, Aaliyah. Yeah, that's that's in plain daylight. I mean, it's it's on BT. They're on BT together. They get married. I believe it was it was eventually made public of well, their having a marriage. Yeah, because at at first I believe he, like he was grooming her, taking her under his wing as yeah. most of them do and then people around would ask her and she would say no, no, no he's just like my mentor all yeah. this. And then after months and months of speculation then it was like, "Oh, all of a sudden we're married." Yeah, and they're on BT together in that one clip and they're being interviewed and they're asking about the rumors. They're both in matchy matchy outfits. They're mm-hmm. both wearing Mickey Mouse, you know, matching outfits like his and hers. Mickey Mouse matching outfits, and it just uh, it looked suspicious then. But you know, it was a different time, and it seemed like that that stuff like that was it's before the Me Too movement, obviously, way before the Me Too movement. But there was a there was been a, there's a long history in rock music, in rock and roll of, of, of older guys taking young girls, and, and I mean that goes back to the fifties to Jerry Lee Lewis and Elvis Presley. Well, I mean, if you had the media we have now, you know, 20, 30 years ago, mm-hmm. who knows how many stories there and would internet, be about, yeah, TMZ, you know, you know, us and our and our parents probably wouldn't have very many <laughs> c- celebrity stars that were still hanging on to their records, you know. Yeah, did you see the Johnny Cash biopic with um, with uh, Fe- um, uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix? Yes, yeah, there was Elvis in that. Mm-hmm. And anybody that saw that is Elvis. You see Elvis portrayed a little bit more um, edgy than he had been portrayed in previous films, and you pro- probably get more of an accurate portrayal of what Elvis lo- what was like around his his peers. Mm-hmm. And uh, he really, I mean, he literally was a hound dog. Yeah, I mean, to to the highest degree during his younger time in younger years in music, he was all about women and hooking up and. And that it was it was doing his shows and and his music and then hooking up and that was what it's all that was all what it was all about was was that and so that everything Elvis is doing in that movie is a constant like find me a girl let's hook up and let's mm-hmm. you know find me a couple girls and let's hook up find me three girls and let's hook up so it it was just all it was one track mind was Elvis the musician and then Elvis let like I'm gonna go hook up so yeah if that had been you can imagine if that internet had been around during that era, would any of these people have made it out alive? Mm-hmm. You know, Jerry Lee Lewis and Elvis Presley, and you know, even John Lennon, who mm-hmm. there had been rumors about him and whether he was abusive to his ex-wife, mm-hmm. to his, you know, to the to his first wife, and that's been kind of a thing that has kind of 
you hear you've heard I've heard rumors about, and I don't know if it was ever been confirmed or verified by anybody, but I know that that oh John Lennon was a wife beater has been kind of talked about. You know the Bill Cosby drugging women and raping them apparently was a thing that was joked about in Hollywood for many years. And nobody, some people would always joke about it and had no idea where that joke ever came from. And they just thought it was just a ridiculous joke that just sort of kind of took it's off. It's like, oh, it, it's just it's just Bill. We can joke about him. It's he, just some of the stupid, ridiculous thing that we joke about. But like nobody, like it's just because it's Bill Cosby, it's sort of ridiculous scenarios. So that's why that joke gets floated around. And then it became kind of more of a real thing because it was included, I think a, a joke about it was included in years ago on a Family Guy episode. And then also on 30 Rock, Tina Fey had put a joke in 30 Rock about uh, Bill Cosby um, drugging one of the character's moms. Mm-hmm. So obviously they there was some, some stories in the inside of the industry that th- there was some stuff going on about Bill Cosby maybe. Oh yeah, and I mean not to group like guys like John Lennon or or uh, you know Elvis in with with this content. I mean, yeah. Hound Dog is one thing, but you know, being accused of yeah targeting yeah it's a totally different thing. Yeah, uh, you know maybe Elvis was out for some tail, but I don't, I don't believe Elvis was out targeting specifically young girls. Yeah. No, I don't think that was. I don't think he had. I don't think unlike Art Kelly, I don't think it was. He's just he was one type guy. Yeah, where that was just his only. That was the only type was, he was. I want a pretty girl. Yeah, he was one of just pretty women and and lots of them. But um, there was the story that that came out on one of the entertainment shows a few weeks back after the Leaving Neverland was sort of unfolding that Elvis used to drug um, Lisa um, Priscilla, Priscilla Priscilla when they were already married. He would put her like give her sleeping pills or something, and then sleep with her. But hmm. you know, later years, and this was all. This has been confirmed by many sources. Later years, Elvis, when he was not at his heyday anymore, and he was overweight, and he was probably popping a lot of pills himself. And oh and, yeah, sweaty Elvis. Yeah, sweaty drunken Elvis. He used to just hire women to to be in bed with him, but he wouldn't even sleep with him. He wouldn't have sex with him. He just wanted someone there. To feel comforted and, mm-hmm. and you know, like a like a human swaddle, uh, someone he could cuddle with, and uh, and then fall asleep. It helped him, it soothed him, and helped him fall asleep to have a woman in bed with him. But he didn't do anything with him. He just pay him, and that was the fall asleep. Well, I mean, nowadays that's a thing. Yeah, people, they're they're professional. Um, they're cuddlers. Professional, yeah, cuddlers. Yeah, again, a person that was became kind of weird, Elvis. Yeah. And had there was a lot of weird things about Elvis in his later years. A lot of weird things, and probably not 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 to the degree of Michael Jackson, but there were definitely some weird things about him. And he, uh, I mean, bringing a, going to the White House to see Richard Nixon and bring a gun with him. Yeah, I mean, there was some weird stuff. Uh, I think he has gun confiscated as he was trying to enter the White House to see the president. Yeah, I mean, even if you look at uh, the the similarities between the way Elvis and Michael dressed as their careers as progressed. Grew. Yeah. Yeah. As it progressed and built up and then as it kind of spiraled and kind of started to hit the down, down slide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that, yeah, with the Elvis thing, uh, a lot of weird things with him, just like with Michael Jackson. And then the, the, the weird, how they end up connecting too, because Michael Jackson ends up marrying his daughter. Mm-hmm. Years later, and then there's speculation now about. There's been speculation for years about that whether his two marriages were just for public, Show. 
public show to try to deflect any speculation that he was a child molester. Well, I know with the Lisa Marie thing, that was like a big deal. It was like, oh, the king of pop yeah. marrying the princess of rock. You couldn't find a bigger and bigger person to make a splash with and marry, whether it's a real wedding or not a real wedding, than probably that he than he pick, picking Lisa Marie. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that would makes, be about as big a story as you can get. And what's interesting, too, is... So this is a true story. When I was in L.A., Years ago, I was working two jobs. I was working at a health food store, and I was working at a Starbucks. Because you pretty much, to pay the rent there, you pretty much had to have a couple of different hustles. And I was working at a Starbucks in Hollywood. And so we got some you know, pretty big stars that would come in. One of the, the shifts I wasn't working, Britney Spears comes in with her mom and orders lattes, and she's recording one of her second or third album, I think. And uh, so the recording studio was just down the street. And she comes in with her mom. I missed it. I was a, it was a sh- shift. I was off. And then another day, I'm in there, and uh, the guy that used to be there every day, though, with his laptop writing, was the guy from uh, Rest and Development. And, and, and his name is uh, he wears glasses. The bald mm-hmm. guy. Yeah, he he was in there every day writing. So uh, anyway, the story was one of the people I worked with, one of my fellow baristas told me that they used to work at a record store at one of the malls in L.A. And this was during this whole Michael Jackson, um, Wade Robson friendship, mm-hmm. during the, the the peak of their friendship, I guess, in terms of when they were probably hanging around and spending the most time with each other, when Wade was still younger. Because by the time this had the story had hit me, uh, Wade was already the, the choreographer for NSYNC and Britney Spears, and he was kind of in that that period of his his life and career. So he was very publicly well known for, he was on MTV a lot during that time. So they said, yeah, when I used to work in the record store, because there was a clip in the doc that sort of hits on this a little bit about when they, 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 they were talking about how Michael would take us to the store and just say, grab whatever you want and grab as many things as you want. Mm-hmm. And let's, let's get whatever you get, whatever you want, whatever you want while we're here. So they used to go into the, whether it was Sam Goody or one of those record stores in the mall They'd come in, they would pick all, they'd always come in on a weekday and early, you know when the malls are the slowest, mm-hmm. uh, or in retail in general, it's usually like a Tuesday, and it's like kind of between like in the late morning to- Yeah, before lunchtime. Before lunchtime, maybe a little bit after lunch too, in the early afternoon on a Tuesday or Wednesday, kind of a weekday. is when. So they would show up in the mall, they would usually come in like at 10.30, and, and it would be Michael Jackson. They knew it was Michael Jackson, but Michael Jackson in disguise. But it was obviously Michael Jackson in a really bad disguise. And his favorite disguises were usually wearing like a kind of an old man beard and kind of a old man wig and dressing a little bit like he's homeless. Okay. So he would come in. You know it was him though because the nose and the way when he talked, you could hear his voice. It was just clearly him. Okay. So he'd come in the store almost on a weekly basis. With Wade Robson, the kid Wade Robson. Mm-hmm. And Wade Robson would be just Wade Robson, not in disguise, okay? So Michael Jackson coming in, maybe sunglasses too, okay? And and they Michael Jackson would come in, and he said they wouldn't spend a long time in the store. But he would go to the discount bins, and he was always really into the discount bins. And he would get as a bunch of those weather um, sound 
kind of like mm-hmm. sounds of the storm. The ambient noises. The ambient noise uh, CDs. Mm-hmm. This is probably CDs at this point because it's uh, 90s. You know, 90s, late, like mid 90s, probably early mid 90s. So he's grab, he'd get a bunch of these um, discount bin ambient noise uh, CDs and buy up a bunch of those. He would just grab a, like, throw them on the counter, they'd pay for them, and then they would leave. I mean, he took out his credit card, said Michael Jackson, <laughs> and they'd buy up the stuff. And this uh, this this lady who I worked with, his barista, would tell me, uh, you know, I never bugged him or said, "Oh, Michael Jackson." I never did that. I knew it was him. I knew who he was. I knew he was in disguise. I figured since he was in disguise, we I just kind of left him alone. Uh, and she was not like a diehard Michael Jackson fan, so for her, she said it was exciting. And kind of fun and interesting to see him come in and know he was in disguise. But I could control myself and not go crazy because it wasn't like, for me, it wasn't like, you know, meeting like uh, Tom Petty or the Grateful Dead or someone like that, who I would be probably would not be able to control myself had it been one of them. So anyway, she said like clockwork, Michael Jackson once a week would come in and buy up a bunch of discount bin ambient music CDs and then they would go go on their way. So that's my only firsthand story that i have right off right off the top of my head on michael jackson that sort of connects to this documentary a little bit um so brandy jackson is the niece of michael jackson who i've for some reason i've been aware of for a couple of years has been on some radio shows and various different um talk shows and she's been talking about how she dated wade robson and how that was not covered in the documentary conveniently. And she feels like that's a very important detail to leave out of the documentary. Mm-hmm. I mean, do what do you think in general? I mean, one of my problems with the documentary was that it, it did a disservice to itself, I think, by being one-sided, by not trying to make an effort to go out and try to find uh, at least an opposing view to rebuttal the information that they're presenting in the documentary. I'll give it a good example. Many years ago, you used to watch 60 Minutes, mm-hmm. and they would be covering a story, troubleshooting something, or doing some sort of... Um, investigative exp- report. Investigative report, expose, on someone that was doing a scam, or someone that was uh, doing some like white-collar crime, or something just abuse going on in schools, mm-hmm. whatever it might be that they were doing a story on. And they would always try to go find the person that is being accused of whatever that is, or someone, whether it be a lawyer that's representing that person, or whether it be a family member, or whether it be the person themselves, they would at least try to go and get a soundbite from that person, Mm -hmm. or ask them if they want to, if they have something to say in defense of what they're being accused of, at least to get that in their expose. So a lot of times it would end up with a slammed door or a person driving off and almost running over them, trying to get out of a parking lot. And it made for great television. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you would get someone that would sit down and, and talk to them and, and rebuttal what's being said about them, and you, that would happen from time to time. I mean, even in a Michael Moore documentary where they'll be very politically direct, you know, angled towards whatever political direction he's he's wanting to make the documentary focused on and and even and then on the opposite end of it someone that makes a documentary that is anti michael moore perspective they're going to do opposing view and go in the direction they're trying to go but in a michael moore documentary he does try to go get an interview with somebody 
that's opposed to what he's trying, what his, what his documentary is trying to, to explain mm-hmm. or trying to educate people on. And I appreciate that. And it's one of the things I think both of the the fire festival documentaries did well. Was yeah, they got the the founder of it. Granted, I know they had to pay him quite a bit of money, both the Netflix <laughs> and the Hulu. Right. But the thing you got from him was a lot of him stuttering or mm-hmm. just blatantly lying and whatnot. Um, and I think the director of the Leaving ne- Neverland's whole reasoning was he was like, this documentary is not about Michael Jackson or, you know, what we say he did. This this documentary is about these two uh, survivors. Yeah. And so it wouldn't have benefited their, it, or not benefit, benefits the wrong word, but it wouldn't have served the story that we're telling about them because it's not about Michael, it's about them. And I get that, but I do understand that, like, I do appreciate when a documentary does give, give me at least something of the other side. Yeah. Uh, Even if it's opposed to, I mean, you and I, we both went out and, and we know to like research the other side, you know? So I went out and read like, there was a a pretty detailed Forbes article, which was, the flip side of it and there's Mm -hmm. some other stuff but uh it is nice if you get both sides within you know the the single especially when it's four hours long yeah but i do understand the director's point of view but personally i do prefer if a documentary can give me at least something yeah from the other side something just so people won't be able to because this is why i think it does a disservice to what they're trying to do and i get that it's about the victims it's about the abuse and educating people on that i get that but then i think you do a disservice because you give the critics fuel more fuel to the fire Mm -hmm. yeah by not that's one of the first things they're going to say oh it was all one-sided it was all angled towards the the perspective that Michael Jackson's guilty, and especially on a iconic person that who I believe is is that the the quote I read from one of his publicists was actually it was the person that handles his licensing, mm-hmm. one of the, the, the attorneys for the Michael Jackson estate that handles all of the execution of his licensing, and they were interviewed by somebody, and they said. It was somebody even in, either in the story that they got a quote from that was connected to it, or it was actually this person that said that the belief is on our part is that Michael Jackson is too big to fail. So in terms of like the publicity and how the impact that it's had on Michael Jackson, in terms of an artist in his post life, we believe it's that his music and his brand is going to continue on despite this documentary. It, there's going to be a little bit of a hiccup. Oh, yeah, because, yeah, he says the truth. He is too big to fail because before the documentary was even released, you had blind support coming out with mm-hmm. the the hashtag MJ Innocent mm-hmm. before even seeing the documentary. Yeah. Um, and that I don't quite get because I think anybody, fan or not, owes it to at least hear both sides. Yeah. And then it's, it's up to you. I mean... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, rest in peace, Michael's gone. Yeah. He's not here to defend himself. No. And if he was still alive and still well, uh, he would be out defending himself because mm-hmm. he proved that when in the previous accusations, he he was out there doing just that, doing videos and, and press conferences and, and in court and then just vehemently denying all charges. And um, 
So his family, some of his family has done that. Here's a couple of interesting things as far as dates to keep an eye open for. Uh, March 29th, Janet Jackson will get inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So she's also doing a Vegas residency that she's been apparently very focused on. She has not made any public statements, at least up to the date of this recording of this podcast, related to the Michael Jackson thing. Her family, uh, her brothers and her nephew, uh, have said that the reason why she has not come out is because there's some, there's one fraction of the family who believe by addressing it, you're putting more attention on it, and then that actually is does do it does more damage than good. And then there's the other fraction of the family who believe that we need to be out there um, for the MJ Army uh, marching and and uh, and preaching Michael's uh, truth. So that that's the kind of thing. So that Janet Jackson will be inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on the Jan, on, Jan, on uh, March 29th. So she'll be more in the public spotlight during that window of time. Um, and then the question mark is, is when she does her speech and makes her appearance, will she even mention her brother? Who I mean, you can't deny you don't have Janet Jackson without Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. You know, to as far as a um, pop culture icon does she mention michael jackson does she thank him because i think she you guarantee she thanks him and acknowledges him if this documentary doesn't come out yeah 100 percent. 100 percent. she acknowledges him because she knows she would the backlash she would get for not not acknowledging him but now with the documentary it kind of adds a little tricky wrinkle in it for her yeah i i kind of wonder what you know her people are telling her yeah you know do you say, I want to thank my family? Right. Probably your brothers. Yeah. I want to thank the Jackson. I want to, I want to thank all my brothers. All my brothers, and that's a way to, to get around it. That's what I would, if I was a publicist, that's what I would tell her. So I want to thank all my brothers and working with, working with, I've got to work with some of you. But it's going to be hard either way. Because if she, if she mentions them, then if she doesn't mention them. The other big thing, and a more of a local flavor... Uh, also at the end of March, I believe it's the closeout for the rodeo. The Jackson brothers are playing the Austin rodeo. I saw that. Yeah. Rodeo Austin. And the last I looked, they were still booked. I know they've been doing a few dates here and there. Kind of, they did play, they played a show in Brazil a few weeks ago where they did, they do publicly talk about Michael Jackson. They said, this concert is all in tribute to our brother, Michael Jackson, who we stand by. They said something to that effect, and then they went on to perform the hits from the Jackson 5 era um, with audience singing along and whatnot. So they did a Brazil show. They had the show on the calendar. I know Jermaine did not make that appearance in Brazil, that he was supposedly sick. So it was just three brothers that made that appearance, Tito and, and two of the other brothers. So they got the rodeo coming up. I'm actually It's a week weeknight show. I'm actually going to try to go. And the reason why I want to go is because I want to go there to be able to observe the experience and mm-hmm. be able to come back and report on it on the podcast. Because I think it would be an interesting bit of um, content to be able to go there and do a kind of a first eyes on the on the scene and then be able to come back and say what, what, what I observed while I was there. Now, I went on the website and I thought I saw the tickets were dropped at 50% for that oh, show. wow. So I'm wondering if, if tickets have been selling really slow. They're not a they're not a typical uh, 
big attraction. attraction. I mean, I think that it is more of an attraction before the documentary. I mm-hmm. think there would have been a little more excitement around it. Uh, and now it's kind of a little bit of a weird, like awkward, mm-hmm. like going to it right now because it's so close to after the documentary that this is happening. And obviously they were booked months in advance before this documentary was even news. So there was no, on the on the Austin Rodeo part, there was no, you know, knowledge that this was going to be a kind of an overlapping issue. Um, it'll be interesting. I know, I mean, you, typically the rodeo can attract a variety of artists. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I remember hearing stories about how great the James Brown show was at the rodeo back in early 2000s and how it was one of the best shows that people had said they had ever seen at the rodeo. And this was a few years before he passed away. Um, you know, so there's a variety. Cardi B was is now, I think, the biggest selling artist to the Houston Rodeo. Actually, a Tejano band came in two days after her, and they beat her record. She broke. Oh, wow. She broke the record for biggest attendance at the Houston Rodeo. Two days later, a Tejano band came and and beat her two day record. So, so that's interesting. But yeah, so the rodeo can attract a variety of artists. Um, but it'll this one would have been more more of an attraction now it's going to be more intriguing on what this appearance is going to be like because a rodeo audience also is a very different audience from a an audience in Brazil yeah in a different country so. yeah so i i look at the the rodeo audience as also being a more conservative audience um so it'll be interesting to see what that's going to be like that's why i thought i would like to go there and observe that and see what what might what that might be like yeah because at least even here in Austin and and we're primarily a, a blue city yeah but with the Austin rodeo mm-hmm. uh we do get that outskirts of red do come yeah. into town come in to, to do that on the outskirts of town go to the rodeo it's not a south by southwest audience no at right. all so it's a very different from some of the other events that we have in in Austin and like you said it attracts the outskirts audience to the mm-hmm. to the show so the last uh, rodeo show I went to was Kenny Rogers, oh, wow. and it was unfortunate because Kenny Rogers was not well during the show. Mm-hmm. He was obviously had been sick, and he did a lot of the show sitting down, mm-hmm. and he had have he had to have backup singers help him through some of the songs. So it was kind of sad um, to see. Um, and I've seen old artists performers put on some of the best shows ever. I mean Willie Nelson at the backyard, in I think two thousand seven or two thousand eight is still one of the best concerts I've ever been to. I mean, he was amazing. So, but it was just not a good week for Kenny Rogers. And he was, it was his retirement show. Mm-hmm. Like he was on a retirement tour. So, yeah, so there's that. There's a couple of things to look out for on that. Um, but anyway, yeah, the, to me, the R. Kelly thing is a more of a closed case. It's always been more of a closed case with the, with the Aaliyah thing. The, the most surprising thing about the R. Kelly is that it, it took this series of documentaries to come out before yeah. anything was actually really done. Yeah. Um, Because, I mean, it's been years we've been hearing the stories from these girls' parents saying, like, our daughter is gone. Like, she was taken and now is not even allowed to talk to us. Like, nothing. Well, and he spent a lot of money to keep himself out of trouble Mm -hmm. in payouts and settling civil suits out of court um, or lawsuits out of court. So he spent a lot of money and resources to not get caught. And to also um, keep people quiet. Now, he was also, I think, protected a lot by the industry. Um, there was the story in that one episode of a series where they were, uh, one, of the, one of the victims or one of the family of the victims had said that a record exec had told him that, that we, we, can't, we can't afford to lose him. 
I think mm-hmm. was what the, was the quote. Um, one more thing on the Michael Jackson thing. Years ago, when I was out pounding, I forgot about the story. Years ago, when I was pounding the pavement as an actor, I would I would go on and try to find work on on, on the internet a lot for auditions, and I would try. I was trying to get in anything I can get into, whether it be a student film at UT or an independent film or a. Um, you know, whether it's paid or non-paid, extra work. I would do as many things as I can do. The last extra job I ever did was the pilot for Friday Night Lights TV series, mm-hmm. by the way. So it was a carnival, I think, or like some kind of fair. So anyway, that um, was, um, you know, a thing. And I would I would run into some weirdos sometimes. You do run into weirdos. Even on the level that I was on, I ran into some interesting people, some crazy people, some weird people. Um and yeah, in my early years, in my young young life as an actor, I did get some. I got a few couch, a casting couch offers too, mm-hmm. from men uh, that I, I didn't partake in any of them. But <laughs> but there were a few. So that does happen, even on the level of like what I was doing in Austin. I wasn't in Hollywood yet. I wasn't trying to. I wasn't even on the Hollywood, you know, uh, Harvey Weinstein level mm-hmm. of trying to get work. I was like trying to get independent stuff in in Austin. So I came across this guy who had claimed to be a, and this is all claims. I don't know. I'd never had any way to, now it'd be easier probably to vet this guy because there's more information on the internet to where you can pretty much find out about anything on anybody, unfortunately, that you want to find. And sometimes it's for the better and sometimes it's for the worse that you have your the power at your fingertips to source information on people so readily easily. Mm-hmm. So this guy claimed to be a retired living in Austin producer of television and movies, okay? He was living in Austin. I somehow came and crossed paths with him through networking and ended up on a phone call with him. And he had told me about somehow the topic of Michael Jackson came up and he had told me at the time that Michael Jackson would get boys sent to him by the record execs for his own pleasure parties. Hmm. And he would get the boys sent to him and that he was into boys and that that was his thing and that he um, had protectors Mm -hmm. because he was, again, just like that R. Kelly quote, he was too too valuable to lose. So they would protect him. But the the way he portrayed it was he said that it was almost as much of a way to... To, it was almost like they like to take an artist, and they like to feed their addiction. They like to install the addiction, mm-hmm. then they like to feed the the addiction, and then they like to have that as a thing to dangle over them, if need be later. Oh yeah, if if you if you cross us, yeah, you know we've got this on you, yeah, sort of deal, and. On one hand, if that if that is the case, then it it's not just shame on Michael if he did it. Yeah. But it's also shame on those around him for instilling, feeding mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And that's my biggest problem too with all of this, uh, in the R. Kelly and the and the uh Michael Jackson is that if stories like that are true, there is that the people that get off that people that were enablers mm-hmm. that are behind the closed curtain that have way more power than Michael Jackson and R. Kelly did. 
that were the feeders of the frenzy and then the enablers that will never get outed or exposed themselves because they're too powerful to go after. Well, and to that end, I've I've heard plenty of people like joke, like, okay, say Michael wasn't doing anything. Like if you're his manager or you're his, you're his agent or you're a friend, why aren't you pulling Michael aside and saying, hey, Michael, I know you, you like having these slumber parties, but it's not a good look. Mm-hmm. It's not cool. But if it is the fact that they're enablers or feeders, then it doesn't make more sense. Yeah. Yeah. Because I figure if you were a manager or a friend or, or anything of any meaning to Michael, you would pull him aside and say, mm-hmm. this isn't good for your brand or mm-hmm. your look, regardless of what's going on mm-hmm. in there. It's not a good look for you to always be seen, especially after the first, mm-hmm. you know, cases in the early 90s. Yeah. If, you know, after all that was settled, you would think those same people would be like, hey, like, that's gone. Like, we need to stay away from, we can't have kids at Neverland anymore. Yeah. Yeah. No, and same thing with R. Kelly. After the sex tape thing, and then he gets off, gets off on that. He gets he gets away with that. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know how that case unfolded. I can't remember. It's been so long now how he was able to get away and get out of that. But he did. And lawyers and money, for mm-hmm. one thing. So he gets out of that, and then, but then still keeps on carrying on. And that's that's where you're like you had a chance to you really had a second chance mm-hmm. in life, and you don't go get help, you don't go and 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 he had you know, the thing too previous to that R Kelly had was starting to become kind of a more of a wholesome kind of family artist because wasn't he at uh, Aretha's funeral? Yeah, he might have probably was involved in that. That sounds familiar. And then he had done the uh, the he Space was in Jam, more like soul and like gospel. He was getting more into the soul because he was doing the early or in the early days. It was bump and grind and the the racy, you know, dancing at the at the shows. And and then he had started to evolve into this kind of more of a family artist, where he was doing duets with Celine Dion. He was doing the soundtrack for for uh, for one of the Batman films, but mm-hmm. also for Space Jam. Mm-hmm. Where he did the, his biggest hit, I believe I can fly, which was being sang at churches, and yeah, he was doing more of the gospely stuff and the more of the ballads, and then the scandal happened, and it was hard for him to. He was able to come back from it as a musical artist, but he, he wasn't doing able. Like the trapped in the closet. He started going back to doing kind of that because his brand of being a family artist, he couldn't get that back. So he couldn't get back to doing duets with like Barbara Streisand. He had to go more the direction of like, okay, I'm going to go back to being the 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 dirty R. Kelly. Mm-hmm. And he did the Trapped in the Closet, which was more on brand with the sex tape and the underage girl kind of thing because it was that ridiculous racy kind of mm-hmm. rock opera. Then he had the well, and then his last big thing in music really that I remember at least in the and it was in the mainstream was his duet with Lady Gaga. And that again was about like I want to take your body or something kind of kind of song. It was more on brand with his, you know, the more the racy R. Mm-hmm. Kelly, but still done kind of in a mainstream way, where it kind of was also parroting the R. Kelly mm-hmm. of that that time. So it's weird. It's weird how th- one thing can can be okay and then it's not okay. And he was accepted again and kind of brought back in, and then he was like, now this. The Me Too movement. If the if the Me Too movement doesn't happen, though, this documentary doesn't. Neither of these documentaries happen. That that to me is clear. 
And uh, one of the crazy things about the R. Kelly thing is you wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought that a, that the, because it is a lifetime documentary series, yeah. that it is, I mean, it's very well done. I really expected it to be more like fire and brimstone, yeah. like, yeah. But it, it does allow, it does give you moments to make up your mind, although the, there's way too many facts to argue yeah. with the R. Kelly thing. Yeah. So are you were you a fan listener? Did you listen to are you, are you a fan? Were you an R. Kelly or a Michael Jackson fan on any level? I mean, Michael Jackson and I was huge growing up. Yeah. Um as a kid of the the eighties and nineties, mm-hmm. I mean, Michael Jackson was like number one for me mm-hmm. growing up. Um, R. Kelly, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, towards the end of elementary and middle school, around the, like the space jam time, yeah. but Michael definitely. Yeah. So will you still be able to listen to Michael Jackson music? Uh, now, now, first of all, are you kind of a, a, not to be the judge, judge jury and, you know, inquire here, but do you, are you, uh, on the fence? Do you think he's guilty? I'm. Are you a part of me is on the fence? Yeah. Whereas before the documentary, I was 100% like Michael's just mm-hmm. like that's he's just a child inside. Yeah. Like that's a way of reliving his childhood. Now I'm I'm definitely more on the, the fence. Yeah. Uh, I think some of the stuff, especially from Jimmy, not mm-hmm. from Wade. Yeah. The testimonies from Jimmy mm-hmm. were very eerie yeah. and um, disturbing. Mm-hmm. And he just seemed so uncomfortable in his own skin and kind of messed up that yeah. it it's hard for me to believe that nothing happened. Mm-hmm. Wade is a little more tough, especially knowing the stuff behind the scenes where he was going through like money issues and, right. and all of that. And the fact that he did try to sue... Yeah, um, is a little, and that's downplayed weird. by the filmmaker. Yeah, and yeah. the fact that uh, you know he did come support Michael again as yeah. an adult, mm-hmm. whereas Jimmy only did as a child, and then when Michael asked him the second time mm-hmm. as an adult, he said no. Uh, it's it's kind of like well, why would he do it? He has nothing to gain. Yeah, like I get it. Wade's trying to get his name back out there. He's trying to. Do stuff, some stuff. The other guy, like he doesn't have money. He's not seeking money. Mm-hmm. Like the only thing that could come from him doing this documentary, because they neither of them were paid. Yeah. The only thing that could come from him is, um, the the one hundred percent Michael supporters are going to do nothing but because I know they're both getting death threats. Yeah, that was talked about in the Oprah follow up. Yeah. Um, what does he have to gain at all? Yeah, by doing this. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. And there was some, there had been some contradictions uh, about the movie, about mm-hmm. the documentary, and that have come out on YouTube uh, of some things. I, one interview I watched said that Wade Robson's wife says in the documentary that she had no experience with, with people firsthand that had been sexually abused as a child. Mm-hmm. But then apparently someone said there's an interview somewhere where she said she was sexually abused herself as a child. Mm-hmm. Which completely contradicts, and there's the whole thing about 45 minutes. I think of the doc had to be changed for the UK to air mm-hmm. it. They said you have some contradictions in the timeline here, and for us to even air it, you've got to go back and re-edit, or mm-hmm. we're not going to sh- we're not going to run it. 
So there was that too. So there's kind of things there, but uh, with you being kind of on the fence, but more convinced than you would have been before the documentary, Mm -hmm. will you still be able to say it's all true? Can you still listen to Michael Jackson music? I definitely, I, I have not since. Yeah. Will I ever be able to? Right. Probably. Yeah. Um, I'll say I used to have one song in particular that uh, I used to, in my work, mm-hmm. demo. You played a lot while you're as, demoing equipment. Because yep, mm-hmm. it's a it's an all acapella beat it. And it's the last... I know the one you're talking about. It's the last yeah. thing he ever recorded. Yeah. Um, and I have a copy of that somewhere. It's, it's a really cool track, and I used to demo it to show what speakers sound like yeah and uh it's a great one to show the sound and and i i don't think i ever could not because it's not a great track and not because i don't like it Mm -hmm. but just because i run the risk of the person being offended and you didn't have that you didn't feel that problem no a few months back a few months back is you to get into people's like soul because when you want somebody to spend money you try to evoke emotion yeah and usually most good stuff yeah you want good emotion yeah and most folks you play that and you tell him like this was the last rec- thing he ever recorded. Yeah, and then so it's a really beautiful. You song. have a good story there too. Yeah, and so mm-hmm. it's like, oh wow, that was the last thing he recorded, and it sounds really good. It evokes emotion. Mm-hmm. But if you say that and you happen to play that for somebody who one hundred percent believes he did it now, yeah, because of the documentary, then that's going to evoke a different kind of emotion, and that emotion is going to be you just take me off and bye. Yeah, if there's one of the people that are very offended by everything they've heard, and they believe it all, and they're right on board with, with, uh, with the accusers and and all the accusations and whatnot. So it, it'll be very interesting. I think that there's going to be a a period after this documentary where that that sort of stuff's going to be hard. Um, I could see a blowback from it that's going to happen that's even bigger than what we've already gotten. I know the family, the Jackson Estates, playing a documentary to rebuttal mm-hmm. themselves, um, which which was done before when Michael Jackson years ago did that awkward interview on ABC with the guy from Britain, mm-hmm. and he really again kind of just was all one sided, and he the way it was edited, it made it just showed the weirdness of Michael Jackson, and he came off looking really bad from that, so he made his own um, kind of one hour special. It was a behind the scenes of Michael Jackson that he produced, and it was showing him in his everyday life to try to show that hey, I'm normal. And it aired on Fox like at, like several months after that original one aired, and it had him going to a grocery store. It had him singing, ironically singing R. Kelly in the backseat of his limo mm. as the radio was playing, and it had him with his kids, and and it had him uh, pushing a grocery cart and goofing around and stuff like that. So they've done some. This was a little bit different though, and and. I know they're planning something. So, yeah, it's a tough thing. And there's just a lot to dive into. So I'm planning on doing another episode on this um, to cover more on this. But um, it's it's a big I, thing. I would say, do you think we're both in agreement? R. Kelly is, it's kind of hard. It's going to be hard for him to try to get off this time. Yeah, I think it is going to be hard for him to try to get off this time. I think that... Um, he didn't do himself any favors with that that interview, no, because he showed uh, they have that now. The photos of him standing over uh, Gail uh, from from CBS this morning, and that was everywhere on the internet and the video. And it just shows his kind of um, erratic 
behavior and, and it's it's that mentality that uh, he believes he's above you know yeah reproach yeah yeah and sometimes when someone's uh, just knows they're guilty but they'll they'll do something to try to look 10 times more convincing that they're innocent so they'll they'll go over the top and that's kind of what i was worried or felt like was going on there mm-hmm. was that he was trying to look over the more like really fighting to prove he's innocent so he's going over the top so yeah i think that one uh now logistics and lawyers and courtrooms they all oh yeah he could get excuse me he could totally get off even even with the me too movement and the post cosby conviction uh there's still a chance this could slip through the cracks and everything you know but there's so much right now on him that's coming up mm-hmm. and cases and stuff that I think even on the first wave, if that doesn't take him down, I mean, the second wave is going to probably, or the third wave is going to take him down. And the thing too is he's going to ex- extract so much um, of money that he's got left. And I think he's already running out of money from what I've heard mm-hmm. uh, that he's going to extract so much of his resources to try to get off that it's not going to be like the first time. The first time he had probably unlimited resources, it was before he was starting the the, the well was running dry because it was on the during his more of his heyday musically. So he had more money coming in, obviously, to be able to throw at it. I think that it will get to a point where if he starts to run out of resources, he's going to be um, on credit basically to defend himself using a credit card and, and bouncing checks to try to defend himself. And I think it's going to get harder and harder to try to defend himself. Well, and, and he won't get to have any sort of bounce back um, career either. Cause after the, you know, the yeah. first times he was able to come back, make some more albums, make some more and, hits and make some more money. Makes the money back. after this. I don't, is any, I mean, I'm sure he still has supporters out there, mm-hmm. but not anywhere close to what he used to have. Yeah, because I think his one of his biggest hits, uh, remix, ignition remix, mm-hmm. came out after the last mm-hmm. set of trial and controversy, and that ended up being his. So he had one of his biggest chart hits after that. Mm-hmm. But I don't think this is going to happen now, especially in the post Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, this time around, no, there will not be a comeback album or anything like that. He would have to completely do a three sixty. And convince everyone that he's gone back to the church, mm-hmm. and he would have to be on Doctor Phil doing therapy on I, television. Yeah, like I, I have a problem. I'm dealing with whatever. Yeah, and just totally, totally on Doctor Phil every day, and then he would have to go the route, the route of gospel music and working at a church and doing singing gospel music at a church, and that's the only comeback that I could see, and that that's sort of a throw, really a long shot. Mm-hmm. It's a real long shot. That's the only, only, only way. And otherwise, it's going to prison and singing gospel music at church in the prison. Mm-hmm. And that's his other comeback. Um, so, and like we said in the last episode, there is the the celebrity reality show in prison idea, mm-hmm. which I think could work for some of these people. Maybe that are, make a little coin there. You could make some coin there. I think it's going to happen. I think it's just a matter of time. Mm-hmm. It may be a few years down the road, but I think they're eventually they're going to get that deal done. Another deal that we're going to get done is agree or disagree for those asses right after this. You're watching a CBS News special. I am your host, Gail King. And this is part three of my interview with R&B star Robert Kelly, also known as R. Kelly. 
also known as individual who number ones. <laughs> thank you for being here, Robert. Well, thank you for having me, and please just call me victim. I am not, <laughs> I am not gonna do that. I guess my first question for you, Robert, is why exactly are you doing this interview? Because people think that I'm some kind of a monster. I I'm here to remove all the doubt, okay? My lawyer was telling me no, but my ego, my ego was telling me yes. Robert, please call me victim. No. <laughs> Tell me some of the things that people are saying about you. That I have a harem of young girls and that I started a, a, a what's the word? Starts with a Q. You mean cult? <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> right. And why do you think people are saying that about you? Probably because it looks like I have a harem of young girls and I started a cult. <laughs> Look, I made a lot of mistakes in my life. Maybe I can't read or write or math, <laughs> but I'm still a person. I put on my pants one sleeve at a time just like everybody else. What about the Lifetime docu-series that interviewed nu numerous women, family members, and your former tour manager? All saying the same things. It's 10 o'clock in the morning, and I'm talking to Oprah's friend. If I can just get through this, everybody's gonna love me again. Robert, the docu-series. All right. These people made a six-part documentary about me. Six. That's almost 10. Johnny Lightfoot for this 93rd episode of... Thunderpop podcast from the Thunderpop Dome. I've got the number one for you, and we can get back into some lighthearted, more yeah. lighthearted <laughs> conversation. Masters of the Universe, which now a Masters of the Masters of the Universe film live action is starting to kind of gain some momentum. Mm -hmm. It's been uh, kind of in developmental hell for years. Mm -hmm. So it's reportedly that now that they're eyeing Noah Centineo to play He Man and Prince Adam. Now, the movie has been in development hell for many years, as I said. Now, although it seems like things are finally moving forward after several setbacks, now, a previous report had Channing Tatum mm -hmm. as the person of interest for the role. Do you agree or disagree that Channing Tatum would have actually been the perfect He-Man for the 21st century version of Masters of the Universe? I agree. I think Channing Tatum would have been a really good He-Man. Yeah, I think he could have played Prince Adam and He-Man really well. Yeah. Uh, he has, you know, I'm sure he could Chris Hemsworth and bulk up a little bit. Oh, yeah. Because he's already a fit guy. He could yeah. bulk up a little bit. But, yeah, I, I think he's got a name and face recognition, mm -hmm. which I think if you do a He-Man today, you have to do. It won't work like it did in the 80s where you can just put just... At the time, Dolph Lundgren was a nobody. Unknown, yeah, more unknown. And, uh, you know, English, not his first language. But you had Frank Langella mm -hmm. as Skeletor. So you can't really do that now. Now you have to have a name. You have to have a name, a somewhat of a name. Yeah, and the thing is, too, I think another reason why I like the Channing Tatum idea, and I don't know if that deal was has, has, is completely done or if it was him that kind of backed off on it or mm -hmm. if it was the studio that backed off on it, if it was, did he want too much money to do it? I don't know. But the thing with the Channing, Channing Tatum is that he has just enough of a sense of humor Mm -hmm. to bring that to the role to where it doesn't take itself too serious, which I think then you get that kind of the Chris Hemsworth, 
as Thor mm-hmm. kind of element that I think you need to bring to a He-Man in mm-hmm. this era for it to, to sell it to an audience. Yeah, most definitely. Like, I think Thor Ragnarok, Taika Waititi got it, like, that's, that essentially was a He-Man movie with Thor. Yeah, and Thor, with, with Thor. So, and I thought it was a good, like, uh, jump-off point for what you should do maybe with a Masters of the Universe movie mm-hmm. in 2019 or 2020. So, yeah, so you definitely uh, think he would have been. I'm hoping they go back to Chris Sims or to Channing Tatum uh, because he's, he's kind of got that. You could see him playing a hero but bringing some comedic elements mm-hmm. to it but not making it too ridiculous at the same time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Another huge property, The Dark Knight. Apparently, reports are now saying that The Dark Knight could be making his way back to the 90s. That's the latest rumor making the rounds in regards to Matt Reeves, the Batman. Being that this is a prequel to Batman versus Superman, it does mathematically add up that it would be set in the 90s, mm-hmm. based on the fact that they're they're looking at casting someone that's kind of a 20-something actor to play that version of Batman. Uh, are we seeing the latest trend in superhero films? Because we have Wonder Woman that's going to be set in the 80s. We just had Captain Marvel that was set in the 90s. Uh, putting familiar characters in different decades. Is that a trend that's going to continue in in the superhero world? Mm. I don't think so. I disagree. I, I, I yeah. think it's it's okay to use here and there, like sparsely. Mm-hmm. You you were, but I feel like eventually folks would get tired of it, mm-hmm. and you know you just play too many of those those tropes. They're they're good for for little nuggets here and there, but yeah. I don't think it, it could become a trend because. Mm-hmm then you start getting away too much from your core audience, yeah. which is, you know, kids and then millennials, young millennials. So if you, you know, then I, and I gather like if you did stuff in the eighties and nineties, a lot of people aren't going to get those eighties references in wonder woman, 1984. Yeah. Um, the younger audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think I, I don't foresee them sticking with that. Yeah. It's kind of a thing, just sort of a little bit of a trend for a few years. And it does serve some of these prequels. Mm-hmm. Like that, I think the Joker movie is going to be really cool, set in the eighties with yeah. Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, that's got. I'm really that that one. I know you're really excited about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, number three. Okay, so I'm going to throw in a little bit. I like to throw you sometimes a curveball for the last one. As we all know by now, Lori Laughlin, aka Aunt Becky, mm-hmm. has been booted from the fifth and final season of Fuller House over at Netflix. In response to her role in the college admissions bribery scandal, of course, we've all been 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 hearing about and talking about, do you agree that Fuller House might make an 11th hour Disney kind of move, a la the James Gunn returning to Guardians 3, and reinstate her maybe at the very end of the season for a cameo in the final episode, kind of as a, as a surprise? Do you agree mm. or disagree that they might pull a James Gunn Disney move? I disagree because mm-hmm. she's not as um, integral into like whether or not Fuller House is decent or not. It's going to happen, yeah. Where and it's you don't see the other actors from that show coming out and saying like, "Well, now I don't want to be in it because she's right, not in we're it. all st- we're all walking out yeah, the season whereas, if she doesn't get in." Yeah, with the Guardians thing, you had like Dave Bautista and the whole cast signing the. The letter saying they support James Gunn and mm-hmm. Batista saying he wanted out of his contract. Mm-hmm. So you had people falling on the sword for James Gunn. I haven't heard anybody coming out. And, yeah, it's been, been minimal. Yeah, and saying, 
you know, you shouldn't have done that. She just wanted her kids to get a good education. Nobody's coming out and saying that on her behalf. Yeah, not there was there was a little bit of a kind of a wishy washy uh, thing on Twitter where Candace Cameron uh, said something to the level of forgiveness hashtag or something like that, but there wasn't specific what she was talking about. I think uh, love and forgiveness or something she posted. Um, so, but it was kind of elusive where what it was directed towards, but people automatically tied it to the Lori Laughlin thing. They already lost uh, their their creator mm-hmm. last year because of a scandal with him. Um, and and a, a Me Too scandal where he was booted from the show, and Candace Cameron took his place for the last two seasons as a, as the producer of the show. Mm-hmm. So they already had one scandal where they had to move on after the, the 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 release of somebody that was involved in the show. So yeah, it's kind of the thing too. If they all had walked out, I mean, Netflix might have just said okay, fine, and then just not done the fifth season mm-hmm. and just moved on. I mean, Netflix has already proven that they can cut ties with whatever rather quickly and then just go on to the next project. All the Marvel shows. Yeah, all the Marvel shows that were gone instantly like Thanos just snapped his fingers and made him disappear. Literally. That would also be a good way to write it all off. <laughs> write all the characters off. Yeah. That they were all disappeared by Thanos. Johnny Lightfoot here on the 93rd episode with thoughts and advice for those asses. So today I had some thoughts and it actually ties back into some things we were discussing earlier. We mentioned Bill Cosby and how sitcoms back in the 80s had your your little moral of the story or your little segment at the end. Very mm-hmm. similar to our thoughts and advice segment at the end. We talked about Masters of the Universe. He-Man used to come on at ev- after every episode and give you a little yeah. moral of today's uh-huh. story, G.I. Joe. So I wonder, it, what would our society be like now if similar things happened at the end of TV shows today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If at the end of a TV show you got a little a little 30 second to minute long little moral of the story or here's how to be a better person based on today's episode, that sort of thing. So if you get a chance, go onto YouTube or wherever you get your content and go look up some of those old Masters of the Universe, G.I. Joe, mm-hmm. Cosby Show. Mm. <laughs> Uh, growing pains, all those. Go back and look at some of those because they've got some great messages that I think if if today's kids, you know, you get off the tweets and the the grams for a little while and go go watch some of those messages, you might find something that uh, might resonate for you. I love it. I love it. I think I think we should bring that back. I would love to see that on some some of these shows that are on now. What would be a show we could do that now with Stranger Things? Yeah, you have the kids come out and, and do, do some do some. Be a good throwback to the '80s shows too, since they were set in the '80s. To mm-hmm. kind of include that, the Goldbergs also another mm-hmm. show could do that. Set in the '80s. Uh, um, I mean, one that I really like, uh, Superstore. Yeah, which is a nice sitcom or uh, Fresh Off the Boat. Way uh, Superstore, way uh, over or underrated. Yeah, as far as shows go. Um, Fresh Off the Boat takes place in the 90s. That's true. A lot of people forget that, but there's also that show set in the 90s, so it has that kind of a nostalgic throwback as well. But yeah, I think it'd be pretty cool. And the thing is, you could tie it into like things that do go on today, whether Mm -hmm. that be, you know, being safe on social media or like being appropriate on Instagram, whatever. Mm -hmm. Don't, Don't send pics to 
to boys. Yeah, there's the modern day things that we need after school specials yeah. for that we're not getting after school specials for. Yeah, modern I, day I problems. wish my younger teenage sisters uh, or preteen teenage sisters got some little moral dilemmas at the end of their show as things that are cool and not to not cool to do. If we had time and we had the resources, I would be on board with doing a YouTube series. It'd be a modern day version of after school special. Yeah, don't don't text and drive. Don't Snapchat and drive. Yeah. I don't know how many videos I see of like somebody who's like videotaping themselves uh-huh, yeah. while they're driving and then they get in an accident while they're filming. Man, uh, that would be I would love that. Because you could automatically you can think of five when five different episodes to do. Out of the oh day. yeah, so, somebody's friend mm-hmm. gets uh, critically hurt in an accident because the other driver was doing doing, selfie. A, doing a selfie, selfie Snapchatting. Yeah, while they were driving down the road. Mm. I ate sushi one time driving in a car <laughs> down the highway, and I should have never done that. That was that was chopsticks one... and everything, or no, barehanded it, barehanded it. I, I but I felt afterwards, I felt a little embarrassed. I should I shouldn't been because it's a distracting food to eat. Mm. It's one that really needs your your full attention. I believe. I think eating it's different from eating a sandwich, which or a burrito wrapped up really tightly in foil. I just don't think it was a good idea for me to try to maneuver on the freeway eating sushi. So that's one moment where I'm like, I regretted my distracted driving there. I didn't get in an accident, luckily, but it was a little bit. Oh, I should throw in the fact that it was a, so it was down. It was a heavy downpour. It was a storm, mm. and I was eating sushi going down a freeway. So it was not a good call. I was very hungry though. But uh, I would never do it again. It was one of the moments after the fact. I'm like, I will never the, yeah, do you're that like again. Looking back, and you're like, gosh, it's like an idiot. I was like an idiot there. Why did I do that? Oh, idiot! All right, everyone. I want to thank Johnny Lightfoot, the Boy Wonder, sitting across from me for joining me for the 93rd episode. It was a pleasure as always, Johnny. Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. Everyone have a good day, hour, month, second, millisecond. Peace. Later. Thunderpop is a Hit the Bricks production.